getting lumped up with Rocker Mike and Rob Rossi. I'm getting lumped up with Rocker Mike and Rob Rossi. Well, I'm lumped up, but I'm okay. It's gonna get lumped up anyway. You better call back the posse. Just getting lumped up with Rocker Mike and Rob Rossi. Getting lumped up with Rocker Mike and Rob Rossi. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Rocker Mike and Rob Presents. I'm very excited today. We have a very special guest, Simon Bowley, the drummer from the amazing legendary British band Eddie and the Hot Rods. I'm very excited to have you on today, Simon. How are you? Um, very well, thank you guys. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No problem. Um, first of all, I want to give a shout out to my Facebook buddy, Kevin Timothy, who put me in connection with you, Simon. You know Kevin, right? I do indeed. From Yeah, uh, good, good man. Years now. What's that? We go back actually probably a, a good few years now. Really? So, good guy. He's a good guy, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. He turned me on to your new album, which we're going to get into in a little bit. Um, and, you know, he got me connected with you, and it's it's been great. So I want to thank him. And... uh Let's talk about Eddie and the Hot Rods. Uh, they're one of my personal favorite UK bands of the last 50 years, I would say, one of the best. Uh, they formed in Essex, England in 1975. Um, now, this band has had a lot of lineup changes over the years. They've yeah. been around for a long time. One guy that was consistent for many, many years was the singer Barry Masters. Barry passed away in 2019, sadly. Um, and to be honest with you, Simon, I kind of thought that would be the end of you guys. Um, to be honest, so did we. So did we. Um, <laughs> we 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 we'd done the last few shows with Stiff Little Fingers in the UK, right? And Barry, and, and Barry had, had fallen really ill, um, and he's been un, he'd been unwell for a long time. Um, but this particular this particular moment in time, he he was really bad, and and, and I said to him. You know, Baz, you, you're going to have to. Well, I'm going to have to cancel the shows, or or you, you're going to have to stand down because he was in a in a terrible way. Um, and I spoke to Stiff Little Fingers management, and they were like, "Look, we don't want you to 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 pull out the shows. So if you can do them, then great." So our bass player is a was a really, he's a really good singer. So I sort of said to him, "Look, do you think you can just stand in and do vocals for these last three shows?" Nervously, he did it. Done a great job. And, and amazingly, a lot of people were like, that really works. Actually, that, that guy's a really good frontman, Freddie Nutwoods. Anyway, obviously, as, in, uh, as, as we know, then Barry sadly passed away. And we right. kind of all sat there and we went, well, that's it. We're done. That's it. Without Barry, we can't carry on. Um, and, and we basically said our goodbyes, you know, on Facebook, social media. You know, we'd had a great run of 20 years together as, as, as that, that four-piece band. Um, and then gradually, as, as, as the sort of as it sunk in that, that Barry had died and he'd gone, we started getting more and more messages from people through Facebook and social media, blah, 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 saying, you know, you guys are going to carry on, aren't you? You're going to keep, keep Barry's name alive. And, and at that point, we sort of sat there and thought, well, I suppose we could. If, if people want us to do it, 
why not? Let's let's give it a go. And then obviously we we ended up having the uh, the COVID pandemic right. gave us what yeah. eighteen months of of nobody doing anything. Right. And that's when we kind of all sat down and went, this could actually really work. You know, the fans want us to carry on. I'd already spoken to Barry before, obviously, before his death. Um, and I'd said to him, look, Baz, you're not going to be well enough to carry on in, in the years as we go forward. But we could do the odd show with Dipster being the vocalist and then Barry coming on and, and, and sort of singing the big hits. And he was he was kind of like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'd really like the band to, to keep going. I don't want it to die. So that 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 kind of is is how it went within from from within three months from we're not going to carry on. We can't carry on to people convincing us that we should carry on. Right. Right. Um, and, and that was and that was basically yeah. I then started getting in touch with some promoters around the world and they were like, well, yeah, if people want you to do it and people still want to see you play, then why not? You've been Eddie and Hot Rods for 20 years. You're all, you, it's not like you've all been in it for five minutes. I mean, I've been in it for, for nearly 30 years now. Um, so, wow. to go for it, you know, go for it. See what, see what happens. And that's exactly what we've done. Right, right. Now, I do remember reading uh, back when, when uh, Barry died that uh, people were saying, don't give up, or keep playing. Uh, you know, uh, Ian, Ian is a great singer. I remember reading, you know, a bunch of comments like that. And I was like, wow, they're really going to do this now. Just so people have a little context about Eddie and the hot rods. I mean, the band formed in 1975 and they were part of what was called the pub rock scene originally in England. Um, that was, a for people that don't know, that was like a short scene kind of in between the glam rock era and the punk rock era, 74, 75, 76 time. Yeah. Uh, and bands like Eddie and the Hot Rods, uh, uh, Joe Strummer had a band called the 101ers, uh, Dr. Feelgood to some degree. You know, yeah. they were all kind of in that category. Great music, not quite punk rock, not quite classic rock or glam, but just something just cool, stripped down rock music. And, uh, I, I think it's kind of an overlooked era in, you know, in rock and roll that there weren't that many bands. So I can understand that, but it was very important because so, some of these bands really influenced what came by 76, 77. So you guys, I know you weren't in the band then we'll, we'll talk about how you got into the band, but uh, originally, you know, they were kind of Eddie and the hot rods got kind of lumped in with the punk rock scene by yeah. 76. Right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, a lot of people, the, the, the pub rock thing is almost is almost a, a dirty word now in the UK. Really? It's like, well, yeah, because it's it's kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, they, you know that. Like you say, it was that it was that tiny little era that be, that before punk rock exploded, and of course, punk rock is now is this great, you know, oh, it produced some uh, some amazing bands and all that. But people also forget that, you know, even. Um, Dire Straits, Dire Straits started as a pub rock band. They 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 were on that pub rock scene. That is true. Ian Jury yeah. and the Blockheads, you know. Right. Um, and it, it, as you say, it was a very important. It, it 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 bridged that gap between that glam rock and them stadium bands like Wings and everything else. And and it, all of a sudden, all these you know these pubs in London that were big venues. You know, we're talking still that the, the rooms that could hold easily hold three or four hundred people. 
to, you know, so although it was it was in a pub, it was in a, a, a fairly decent sized venue <coughs> where a lot of a lot of young people went. You could go and see a great band for not a lot of money. Right. Um, and yeah, Eddie and the Hot Rods came along. They were all in there, what, 17, 18 years old. A lot of the punk pub rock bands at that time were in their mid-20s. So all of a sudden, this young band came along um, that were just absolutely ripping the place apart. You know, Barry was somersaulting, swinging off of, jumping over tables. And all of a sudden, people were like, <laughs> holy shit, who are this band? Yeah. And, and I think that's what kind of, all of a sudden, the music press then, then got onto it. And I mean, Joe Strummer famously wrote that the first time he heard the word punk rock was describing an Eddie and the Hot Rods concert. That's true. And he was like, what is this punk rock thing? And then, of course, the pistols exploded um, and Joe went on to form The Clash and the rest is history. But, you know, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was an important part in, in, in that music progression into the punk punk era. Now you, you mentioned the Sex Pistols. I, if I remember right, wasn't one of their first gigs opening for Eddie and the Hot Rods? Yeah, at the Mar at the Marquee. I, 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 I mean, don't quote me on this. I might be wrong, but I think it was their first ever major London show, and they were opening for Eddie and the Hot Rods. Right. Uh, and they went on there, and and uh, I was reading um, John Lydon's autobiography a little while ago. Yes. And he said on there, he, he talks about that moment, and he said. It was the first time that they'd actually used a proper uh, sound system, and he could hear his voice coming back through the monitors. And it was—he he openly says it was such a horrible noise he didn't want to hear himself, so he kicked all the monitors off the stage, which is what then caused a big row. Right. Uh, Barry ended up punching him and knocking him out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard it didn't go well. <laughs> well, well, Barry, you know, Barry, Barry was. Uh, amateur schoolboy boxing champion. He, he he had a choice of going pro boxer or as a singer, and and he always said, you know, I sat there and thought about it. Do I do I want to do I want to spend the next fifteen years having my head punched in, or should I go on stage and sing? So he chose to be a singer. But of course, you know, he wasn't the sort of guy that you would uh, you, you would pick on. And and John decided he was going to uh, give him some sticks. So Barry slapped him and put him on his ass. But of course, the next day. The whole of the British music press reported how the Sex Pistols upstaged Eddie and the Hot Rods and caused this and caused that, uh, and and the rest is history. The Pistols just went absolutely cosmic, and mm -hmm. sort of the Hot Rods kind of fell under under the radar slightly. Right, but they but they stay hung on. I mean, because they did manage to have tours with the Ramones and the Talking Heads later on. Uh, yeah. You know, so they, 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 they held on through the whole, you know, they held their own through the whole punk rock scene, even though they really didn't consider themselves, you know, too much part of that. Um, you agree? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, uh, at that, that point as well, I mean, that, I think they could have easily, looking back on it and, and talking, obviously talking, you know, we have many hours backstage and in vans and in planes and, you know, you know, you know, you name it over the last 20 years. So we, we used to talk a lot about, uh, you know, what it was like and this, that and the other. And, and Barry will always say, you know, they got to a crossroads where it was, do we, do we go down this punk rock uh, road? Uh, and uh, because being the, the arguably the band that's kind of ushered it in, or do we kind of just go, well, we're not going to go with the flow. And, and 
management and record company, everything else at that point, not knowing that punk was going to explode like it did, they were like, no, no, we're not going to follow the trend. We're not going to wear all the, the you know, the clothes and this, that, and the other. We're going to do our own thing. We're a great rock and roll band. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they did, you know, they were the, the first band to come over to the US and, and tour with, with the Ramones. Right. Uh, and, and fam- you know, famously or, or infamously, you know, the first gig, the, the Ramones manager came backstage and had a word with 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 uh, Ed Hollis, who was their manager, and sort of said, uh, "Joey and the boys have said, you know, is there any chance on the next gig you can slow down a bit because uh, sort of we're meant to be the band that, uh, that go out doing hundred mile an hour, and, and they were giving the, the Ramones a run for their money hmm. in nineteen seventy six. Yeah, um, but you know they they chose they chose not to go down that punk punk road, and unfortunately, sort of by late 77 they were kind of old hat really you know and and it's a shame because you know they they should have been up there with with the with the best of them right the way through really well didn't uh sire records pick them up right uh yes in the the united states yeah um and that's seymour stein uh recently passed away uh he he had some incredible foresight with some of these bands that he signed in Europe. I mean, uh, and, and even Australia. I mean, at the, at the time I know he was signing the Rosillos. Okay. Not the, I'm not the Rosillos. I'm sorry. Radio Birdman. Um, and you know, in Europe, he, he was trying to put a tour together with the Ramones and Radio Birdman and all that stuff. And then you guys were signed, I think around the same time as well. 76, 77. Uh, you had the album, uh, teenage depression with, amazing title track that's one of your most classic songs um i gotta mention just from personal experience i think the first time i ever heard eddie and the hot rods was probably 1979 okay i was 10 years old and i had bought the the uh rock and roll high school soundtrack yeah okay and teenage depression was on there and i was like oh this is a cool song i had the soundtrack before i even saw the movie be honest with you Okay, and uh, I was like, wow, that's a cool song. And then I kind of, you know, maybe a few years went by and then I I dug into all that stuff, you know, and I got into it. It it, it just it's just timeless music. People like to label things, you know, pub rock, classic rock, gram rock, glam rock, uh, punk rock. But it's really just all rock and roll. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, totally. And I'm sure you guys did, too, back then, because labels don't mean shit. And you just you're out there having a good time, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, but unfortunately, um, with, with every with everywhere, you know, they do label it, and and if and at that time, at that time from seventy six to probably well seventy nine, I guess maybe nineteen eighty, if you weren't a punk band, you didn't get the exposure, you didn't get this, you didn't get that, and it's no. it, it is it, it's stupid. It's stupid when they pigeonhole, um, you know, oh, well, you're not, you don't fit into that you know, you don't fit into that category of music or whatever else. Cause exactly like you say, it's just great rock and roll music. It's that the same today, off. Simon. It's the, it's the same today. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've never seen rock and roll in such a bad state in my life that it is right now. Now that doesn't mean it's there's really no good bad. bands out there. You guys obviously still plugging along. That's great. But there's, yeah. there's some up and coming, very good bands. We've, we've interviewed some and, you know, we've even managed to get a couple signed, believe it or not. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, it's 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 cool that rock and roll has kind of 
gone underground a little bit because that's kind of where it it hones yeah. itself and and you know like a diamond like it shines itself up you know and then it'll yeah. come out again but it's just it's just like right now it's not even in the public conscience no no which no, is it, you know england's the same right pretty much oh oh totally yeah totally i mean basically if 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 you if you if you put a guitar around your neck and, and you hit drums or whatever else very very few people want to know um and that, that's that's record company radio airplay or whatever else and it's it, it is such a shame because there's some great music out there and yeah. there's still the you know but you know it's, it's even to the point where you just don't get a music shop anymore because no one's buying musical instruments that's true so, you know and 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 it's it's a little bit like where where's this actually going to go because once people stop actually playing instruments then then we've had it you know well G gibson guitars are not doing well no as a company they're not doing well at all but you know what it is people are also buying new equipment too there's different technology out there so people are playing music but it's very like very like not real instrument they're just playing these fake it's electronic stuff and yeah they're not, they're not banging you out a six real, string real father sells keyboards right he sells keyboards and he got these classic keyboards and it's a bunch of people buying these classic keyboards because you can't find them anymore. That's that's all it starts sell keyboards, yeah. like old school yeah. keyboards. Yeah, same will be guitars and, and whatever people will buy them because they're 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 pieces of that they want to collect and everything else. But you know, it's worrying when I start reading that, that, that you can do all this AI AI, AI bollocks that, you, that that will yeah that you can record it and it'll make you sound like Jim Morrison or whatever else. I mean. Yeah. If we start going down that road, then there's no point in having any, anyone having any talent. Just sit in front of a. If as long as you know how to work a computer, and 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 that's all you need, and get a machine to do it all for you. Yeah, I mean the pro Pro Tools programs that these people have, and I I know I know guys that are in the punk scene that use this stuff. Okay, it's you know in their basements, and they record with this stuff, and you don't need to be in a studio anymore. You know, no. you really don't. And and that's that's not a bad thing. I mean, we no, it's not. I'm not saying it is. No, no. Um, I mean, we rec we recorded this album, you know, pretty much the, the same sort of way. You know, we didn't we we don't now have to go into a big studio with full drum kit and everything else. You know, our bass player's got a, a, a half decent studio in in his basement. He's got a really good electronic drum kit. We put all the drums down on using electronic drum kit. We didn't mm -hmm. put it through the computer. That makes it sound better than any live drum kit that, that I've ever recorded on. Right. And whereas we'd go in there and it would take me two, three hours, four hours, five hours to mic a kit up, get that mic, that drum sound that you're really after. We go in, we plug the drum kit in, we bash the shit out of it, record the album in three or four hours, and then put it through, you know, whatever program and get a, a 1960s Ludwig drum kit sound that sounds absolutely perfect. So yes. in some ways, in some ways, it's really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I agree with that. As long as the music's being made, I don't really care how they do it. Yeah. Okay. Totally. totally. Yeah. Yeah. Now, just to shift gears for a second here, um, like I mentioned earlier, there was quite a few lineup changes in this band over the years. Now, you've been in the band since around 2000 or so, am I right? Uh, 96. Oh, 96, excuse me. 96, so what's what's your is that musical when they history? I know again? that you... What, Rob? 
Is that is that when they restarted? Because I saw that they took that big hiatus, like from uh, seventy five to eighty five. They didn't do nothing. Then ninety six, they picked up again. So what happened? What was the change? There was just a demand yeah. for you, for the old stuff. Um, well, I think that I mean Barry 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 was going through some from some pretty heavy shit personally wise throughout them sort of mid eighties, early nineties. So he was kind of, uh, without going too deep into it, he was kind of out of action. <coughs> um, and then, and then as the nineties sort of took part, took hold, we had, we had this resurgence in guitar music. You know, we had the Britpop and we had this nineties whole resurgence. Oh, with, with Oasis and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, and I think they they decided now was the time they they they'd all got talking again and and this that and the other. So they decided to to get back together and and, and do a few shows. And then they released a, an album, Gasoline Days. Yes. Um, and then it kind of all went it, then it all went slow again. Um, so I mean, to give you a little bit of background, my uncle is Steve Nichol, who was the founding member of Eddie and Hot Rods. Right. So. Eddie and Hot Rods have been in my life since I can remember. You know, when they hit the big time in 1976, I was six years old. Mm -hmm. So they've been constant throughout my whole life, growing up as a teenager, blah, blah, blah. So in 96, they recorded the album. My uncle then decided that he he was going to emigrate and they, they, moved, they, they moved over to um, Tenerife. So I was just doing, I was, I was what? 7, 20, 24, 25 or something, whatever then. So I was, I was actually working and I, and I got a message from a mate of mine who had been playing a little bit of guitar for him. And he said, look, sorry, I've got a gig with the Hot Rods. But we, haven't got, we haven't got a drummer. Do you want to stand in? Yeah, of course I'll do it. And that was kind of it from there. Just standing in for one show, I then carried on playing. And, um, and, and nothing really, we do the odd show, we do the odd gig here and there. Nothing major, and then it was really 2000 when Dr. Philgood approached us, uh-huh. and they said we're doing a 40 40 date UK tour. Um, wow! With with, with another guy, uh, John Otway. I don't know how well he's known over in in America, but he's he's quite a, a big name over here in the UK. Um, and about a band called the Hamsters, and uh, and we agreed to do it, but at that point. Paul Gray, the original bass player, he'd already said, no, I'm not interested. I don't want to do it. So at that point, all we actually had was Barry had said he wanted to do it. I said, I'm up for it. We had a guitar player, but we needed a bass player. And and, and it was a guy I knew. I'd been playing in a band for a few years with him who turned out to be Ian or Dipster, as we call him. Dipster Dean. Um, Dipster Dean. And, uh, and that was the start. That was the nucleus of the band. We we literally went out. We did a 46-day tour of the UK. And when we came wow. back, people people and reviews and stuff had started talking and going, wow, Eddie and the Uploads are actually really good again. And and so we decided, let's just carry on. Um, now, obviously, as you rightly point out, there'd been a hell of a lot of lineup changes from probably 1980 right the way through and if i'm totally honest and that's no disrespect to any any of the other guys but they weren't always the best lineups mm. you know they were lineups that were put together for the odd show not rehearsed properly this that, and the other uh, and and when i joined the band in in 96 
there was a lot of there was a lot of people like oh what another drummer oh what another guitar player you know it, it, it was it was expected that that you'd never go and see Eddie Nutrods and there'd never be the same lineup so from night from from 2000 when we when we said look if we're going to do this we need to do it but we need to do it proper we're not going to keep changing lineups right. uh, and, and we've and we've stood we've stood fast for 23 years yeah wow and, until sadly Barry passed on and then Dipster takes over. Now he was playing bass at that time and he, he, you got a new bass player now, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was actually, I was actually uh, uh, out doing a tour with another band called um, Department S. Um, and, and we had, we were out with another, a UK band, an old mod band called the Chords UK and mm-hmm. their bass player. And I, I got really friendly and we were chatting all the time and hanging out together and blah, blah, blah. And uh, turned out he was a massive Eddie and Hot Rods fan. And obviously he, he knew that Barry had died and we were chatting this, that and the other. And I said, well, actually, we're thinking of, of keeping the Hot Rods going, but we need a bass player. And he was like, straight away, he was like, I'll do it. And, uh, and, and so that was it. We were like, what, we've got our bass player. Dipster will now take over as vocalist. Um, and, you know, we, the nucleus of Eddie and Hot Rods as it is now, is still the same as it has been for 23 years. Um, so, you know, we, we just move we just move on and we see see where it takes us. It's just kind of like a different era of the band. It's, it's, yeah. it's not a bad thing. I mean, so, some people, uh, in your case, it's it, I think it's a rare exception where it works, okay? Uh, there's a lot of times this does not work when you have, like, very few original people in the band and things like that. Uh, yeah. But in this case, I think it works because, the, the, first of all, the title of your new album, let's let's get into that, is called uh, Guardians of the Legacy, okay? Yeah. And there's also a title track of the same name that's fantastic. Um, I like that title because you guys are Guardians of the Legacy of Eddie and the Hot Rods. Do you agree? Is that why you called it that? Totally, totally. We, mm-hmm. started, we, we started getting some songs together. And um, Mick, the, the, Mick, the new bass player, happened to say, he said, I've got, I've, I've got this demo that I wrote years ago. He said, and I think I can change the words a bit and we'll do this, that and the other. He said, it's got, and, and we'll call it Guardians of the Legacy. And he played this song to us and we were like, wow, it's, it's perfect. Right. You know, if you listen to the words, it's, you know about how we didn't know whether we'd meet again and how, and how we need to, to make more memories and this, that, and the other. Yeah. And, and we were like, well, there, there it is. It was, the, it was the first song that we sat and actually all wrote together as a band. And we, and we were like, well, we've got, the, we've got the album title straight away. There it is. You know, Guardians of the Legacy. You can't, we can't put it any better than that. I mean, it must be incredible for you. I got to say this, because like you said earlier, you know, the band has been in your life for your whole life, basically. Yeah. And then now you're you're out there banging drums where your your uncle had before, and you got a, a an album called Guardians of the Legacy. You know, it's just like that must be incredible for you, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it is it, a mad it's a mad thing. I mean, I've obviously I've got used to it now over twenty three years, but especially especially when I first started doing it because it was my my the the, the band the band were, were my heroes, you know, it was the whole reason that I wanted to be in a band, right. you know, from, from, from being a little kid, you know, my mum would be, Oh yeah, you've got boys, boys, you know, me and my brother and his uncle Steve's on the telly again. And I'd go and we'd sit in front 
and watch Eddie Knight was on whatever TV show it was or Top of the Pops or whatever else. So then to, to, to fast forward, and I'm in my early 20s, and I'm now sitting playing the drums. I'm, I've, learned, I've learned to play drums um, by, by, by putting headphones on and smashing the shit out of the drums, playing along to Eddie and Hot Rods records for my whole teenage life. So now all of a sudden I'm sitting there doing it. And now, as you say, we've now entered a new era where, unfortunately and, and sadly, we haven't got any original member, but we're now taking the, the name and, and the legacy into the next chapter, Yeah, is, which is really quite exciting. Um, I don't think we'd have been able to do it if we'd have got a completely new vocalist that was outside the band. But I think because we've literally said, here's Dipster, he can really sing. He's now not going to play bass. He's now going to stand and be a front man. And he's, he's, he's becoming a really, really good front man. I guess standing behind Barry and playing alongside Barry for 20 odd years, yeah. he's learned from one of the best guys in the business. Yeah. Barry so, was a, Barry was an amazing front, front man. I saw you guys once. Um, I want to say, Late two thousands, I think. Do you remember yeah. coming to New York? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was at that show. Okay, oh, uh, yeah. Knitting factory one. Knitting factory, exactly. Uh, that was a great gig. Yes, yes, yeah. I was at that. That was a yeah. good venue, uh, knitting factory. Yeah, it's gone now. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was a great gig. Yeah, it's true. That's a, that's a problem here in New York. Is is places to play? Okay, uh, so many venues. Even it, and you can't blame it all on COVID. Uh, even before COVID, they were closing, but but COVID yeah. knocked a lot of places out. And then now, since then, uh, Manhattan itself, a lot of bands skip it and they play Brooklyn. There's more venues in Brooklyn that are popular. Yeah. Well, the, the last time we, well, last time we came out, we we that's we played Brooklyn. We didn't play. We didn't touch. Or, or, did we, or did we do? I can't. Or, we did. Might have done the Bowery Electric. Actually, that might be. Yeah, that's a that's a spot for for guys like you know your band in that genre. Um, Jesse Mallon, you know, he he does a great job running that club. Yeah, and uh, he you know he gets all the bands like you guys and the Dickies play there every year, and you know other other punk bands and stuff. I've seen so many shows at the Bowery Electric. That's about yeah. the only spot in the city that well, plays, you know, this type of music regularly. You know, it's other place, Bowery Ballroom, it's not bad either. Bowery Ballroom's Bowery a bigger, Ballroom. bigger venue. Yeah, that's yeah. good too. Yeah. 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 But like I'm saying, you know, Brooklyn is like the hot spot. There's, you know, Williamsburg has a couple of venues. You got Brooklyn Bowl. You got the Williamsburg Music Hall. I just saw Wire there about three years ago. What? I, you know, they were, they were good. Um, but again, even with that, uh, across the country, there's really not that many venues to play anymore. No, no, not, well, just, not for this music. The UK is exactly the same. I mean, it's just yeah. it's just really difficult for venues to to stay open and 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 to to make money. For it, it, you know, it's not even so much the lack of bands. You've got enough bands, but yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just really hard to get people out and uh, and sort of fired up. And so society has changed. So much, not to get on my soapbox here, but society has changed so much as far as live music. Just the just the the the, the desire to see live music is not what it was even fifteen years ago. No, you know, it's not. No. 
And it's a, it's a strange thing, especially, you know, uh, it sounds like you've got the same sort of problem in uh, over there, but, you know, you'll have, you'll have bands and they'll come and play the O2 and, 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 and they charge extortionate, you know, 80, 90 pound a ticket. Yeah. They're still, they're still selling 20,000 tickets and, and, uh, you know, that's, that's fine. If you want to pay that and you want to go and watch your favorite band, that's, that's absolutely cool. I've got no problem with that. We, you know, we played the O2 with status quo in 2012. You know, I don't blame people. Of course, you want to play them big venues. They're, they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's where you want to be. But it's frustrating then when you're playing a 300, uh, 300 capacity venue and you're charging £25 a ticket and people go, oh, 25 quid. Oh, that's a bit steep, isn't it? I'm not sure I'm, I want to pay that. Leave it out. You've just paid 80 quid. Yeah. You know, and, and, and there's a really like this heart. There's this, there's this people are willing to pay shitloads of money to go and watch a band in a big venue. And then you've got no middle ground. No one, no, as soon as you say you want to charge money to go where they'll stand in an, a, another venue that's only 200, oh no, they don't want to pay that. And it's a really strange thing that's going on at the moment. It, it, you, you're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head. People are willing to pay insane amount of money to sit yes, in Madison are. Square Garden, you know, uh, Madison Square Garden, a mile away from the stage. Yeah. Okay. But they don't want to pay twenty dollars at the Bowery Electric. Yeah, <laughs> what'd you say, Rob? I said they paid to see Billy Joe. No, oh, God, yeah, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, it's strange, strange. It is. it is, it is. But it sells out. It sells out, and the tickets are. Have you looked at the ticket price? It's ridiculous. Like six, seven hundred dollars for these tickets. Look at the last. I don't know if 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 you're a fan, Simon, but like uh, Kiss is doing their farewell shows. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Oh my God. And and I, I mean I grew up on Kiss. I like you know the original Kiss. Okay, um, but I, the tickets went on sale for two shows back to back at the Garden in December. I mean they're like fifteen hundred dollars a ticket. I mean I'm not Crazy. I'm not first of all I'm not I'm not seeing Kiss at the Garden for fifteen hundred dollars. I just I could do I, I'll it does I buy records before I do that and listen to records of Kiss before I go see them for that amount of money. That's just that's just nuts. Yeah, it's just it's it's just insane, isn't it? It's it's he's it he's absolutely I don't know. It's not that people aren't willing to pay because they clearly are. Because like you say, you know these these bands are selling out all 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 day long. So yeah. people are paying. Um, and I mean, I love Kiss. I think you know that is that they are the archetype. That if you're gonna if you want to be in a rock and roll band from a young age, you're gonna you want to be yeah. in a band. Yes, you've got yeah. the fireworks. You've got that. That is what right. rock and roll is about. Yeah, but, yeah. It's kind of that sort of thing. Go well, actually, but but are you? Is it is it Kiss ripping them off, or is it the ticket tower? Is it the ticket master and everything else that are setting the price? Because you know, yes, it's expensive to to tour. We all know that that, that it's not cheap, but it's not fifteen hundred dollars a show. I, I think it's a little bit of everything. Okay, I think that I think that Kiss. If you're at the level of Kiss, for instance. Okay, or Kiss, or the Stones, even or a Who. Okay, if you're at that level, you got control over your prices. Yeah, somewhat. Yeah. Okay, you could, you could, you could, you could tell people, listen, don't, you know, don't charge this much. We don't want to do this this time around. Okay, I can't see why they can't do that. All right, so I do blame the bands at that level to some degree. Maybe they're in a bubble and they don't really know everything that's going on or they just got too many other things to worry about besides the ticket prices. But I think yeah. in this day and age, I think people 
at that level, they they should care about their fans just a little bit more. Yeah, you know? yeah, couldn't agree more. I mean, like, I couldn't I'm see, gonna a, see the, yeah, a, ba- a band the like Eddie and the Hot Rods. Okay, yeah. a band like Eddie and the Hot Rods. I, I I could see doing that. Okay, just being like, listen, don't don't no. charge, you know, three hundred dollars for a ticket. Charge one hundred and fifty. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. That's what I pay for the pig seats. I pay to see the pig seats at Miles Mouse. I pay 150 at uh, Pier 17, which is a beautiful venue. That's the rooftop venue, right? Yeah. I love that place. That's great at the seaport. That's a very good venue. You know? Right. So, okay. So let's, uh, I want to ask you now, you know, just give us a little bit of your musical history. When did you start playing drums, Simon? Um, right. Well, as, as far back as I can remember, um, I mean, we, were, we, we, we weren't lucky enough that we lived in a, in a house where I could actually have a drum kit. Um, but I mean, I can, I, can, I, can remember, I can remember probably I would, would have been, I don't know, maybe four or five years old. And, and, and I, would, I would get my dad, my mum and dad to put music on and I would grab all the cushions off the city and, and, and I had drumsticks because I'd, I'd got them off my uncle and, and I'd grab all the cushions off the, off, the, off the furniture and I'd arrange them because, you know, you, if, you hit, if you hit different cushions, yeah. you do get different sounds. You know, different sounds. So I'd yeah. arrange them like a drum kit going from high to low and I'd, and I'd sit and I'd bash the shit out of these cushions and then from there, by the time I was sort of 10, I'd, I'd managed to get a, a practice kit, one of these uh, rubber practice kits where I could sit and play there um, and then luckily, we were very lucky, fortunate that, that my mum and dad, we moved house and we moved to a bungalow um, and I could have a drum kit. So my mum and dad said, yeah, you can have a drum kit, but yes, you can play, but you're going to go and learn to play drums properly with drum music. And I was like, do I have to? And they're like, yeah, otherwise you're not having a drum kit. So I went off and I learned to play drums by by music so I can read drum music and uh, and and see where that took me um and that that kind of that what well, that was kind of by my mid-teens um and then from there I did exactly the same as 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 every other every other kid in the world you know I got in bands at school um and then when I went then as I started getting towards leaving school um I had a I, I had a band local band and, and at that point, Steve actually came on board and was our manager because he still had connections within uh, Island Records and this, that, and the other. And, and we, at that point, it was, we're talking now, probably eight, eight, 86, 87, you know, and, and Guns N' Roses and, and, and bands like that. And, and that was a style of band that we were now in. You know, I had long hair uh, and we're rocking out and we're playing sort of, not heavy metal, but definitely heavy rock. Yeah. Um, and, and Steve came on board and, and he said, I'm going to manage and, and he paid for us and we went in and we done some great demos and then he took them off to Island Records. He, he, managed, he managed to get every single major record label at that time. So we had Christmas, EMI, Island, uh, Polydor, you name it, every major record company. And we got them all on board they're all interested. We, 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 we went and did a big showcase gig in, in London. 
and we were like, right, we know that at whatever time, I don't know, 12 midday or whatever, every one of these record labels was going to walk through that door and, and we were like, yeah, we're going to walk out today with a record deal and, uh, and this, that and the other. We had the heavy things set, the stage was set, the lights are set. The only thing we didn't have was a sound engineer and the sound engineer at that time was on, on tour with Transvision Vamp and he was, Great he was due to be back that morning. And as we're going on, the guys get going, no, 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 it's fine, fine. He'll definitely be here, he'll definitely be here. We get to half past 11 and we get the news. The sound engineer's not going to be here. Transvision Vamp's bus has broken down. There's no way he's going to be back in London by midday. And there we are. We're sat there. We've got everything there. We've got no one that can that, that can work the sound and we can do this, that, and the other. And we had to sit there and we watched every single record label gradually just go, sorry, guys, but, you know, you've had your, you've had your 15 minutes or your 20 minutes. We've got other appointments. We've got to go. And, and out they went. Every single went, walked out the door, and we didn't even get a chance to play for them. Yeah. And it was well, like, how's your luck? You know, you get your one, you get your one chance, and and that was our that was our one chance, and and through no fault of our own, it kind of all it went ticks up, and 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 that was that, and uh, we carried on for a few more years, um, and, but you know that chance was never going to come around again, uh, and then that's kind of I, I I then was just bumming around. I'd started work then. I'd, I'd done an apprenticeship as a bricklayer. I was working and doing bits and pieces, and then that's when I got the call. Um, from the guitar player mate of mine, and said, "Oh, the Ottawa's, you know, Eddie and the, I've been doing some stuff with Eddie and the Ottawa's. They need a drummer for tonight for a gig at, I don't know, the Royal Standard, I think it was in Walthamstow. Do you want to do it?" And that was it. And I've been here ever since. Wow, wow, that's amazing. So, uh, yeah. as far as um, Guardians of the Legacy, now this album is available now, right? It's out there, right? Yeah, it's out there. Out there, we, we were we were really really lucky, you know. Uh, uh, Steve from Outro, uh, based in California, he he took came he came forward and said, "Look, big fan of Eddie Nutwards. I'd love to put out the vinyl." So like, yeah, great, you know, that's fantastic. So he's, he's they're doing a great job with the vinyl outro, uh, and and then uh, we had John at Renaissance who are uh, based over in uh, Arizona, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was like, well, we'd love to do the CD and download and everything else. So we were like, fantastic. We've got two great labels in the US that are willing to put this stuff out. So, yeah, let's go. Let's rock and roll. Let's get it out there. So he's out there now. Um, yeah, it was um, released yeah. April 28. Just came out. Yeah, yes. April 28. Yeah. So the, yeah. Song, the song I'm Your Fool is doing very well, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'd, we'd already released, we, we, we decided, we decided uh, probably a year or so ago, last January, January 2022, we'd actually, the, the album was ready. And we said, we, at this point, uh, in January 2022, we hadn't actually secured any labels that were, that were willing to release it. So we were just kind of going, well, we've got this great album. Um what do we do with it? Do we just just do we just throw it out there ourselves and see what happens? <coughs> and I said, well, let's release a couple of singles from it, and then we'll see what interest we can get from these labels. So we threw out Guardians of the Legacy as a single, and and straight away some internet stations, and we, we've got a, we've got a couple of really good stations over here in the UK, uh, three six five radio, 
and uh, and we've, we've got a radio DJ, a very famous radio DJ, Mike Reed. I don't know whether you've heard of him over there, but he was big, big over here in the seventies and eighties, a big Radio One DJ. Yeah, I know um, the name. He now, does, he now does the Heritage Chart and Guardians of the Legacy. Bang, straight in, straight in the Guardians of the Heritage Chart number two. We mm. were like, okay, wow. people remember us. Yeah, you know. Um, and then from there, we decided we'd release uh, a new frontier. Bang, number three. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So we for mid, we're now mid summer 2022. We've secured the album deal, so we know the album's going to come out. So we thought, right, we'll do one more single. So we released Paradise Wallet, number one. Wow. wow. So the first three singles have gone number two number three number one and that's before the album's released so when the album then came out on the 28th you know i said to the guys we need to we, we need to release a lead track from this now this is where kevin came in because kevin had heard the album before it was released and he came back to me and he said that song i'm your fool and he said that would be an absolute killer of release he said it's got a bit of a slight guitar it's a little bit different so I said to the guys, and they all went, well, let's, let's release I'm Your Fool then. So first week, I'm Your Fool. Go straight into both charts, getting a nice bit of airplay. And, um, yeah, it, could, it, it couldn't be better, really. Yeah. Really good. So, um, and, 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 and we've, got, we've got exactly the same problem here as every other, let's call it, legacy band, is that, you can't get any mainstream radio airplay. You're not. You're going to get it on rock radio stations. You'll get it on internet radio stations. Your mainstream radio stations don't want to know because we're we're, we're too old and we're not relevant. And you know every other excuse that they yeah. can give me. Anyway. Simon, forget about radio. The 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 only thing that you know satellite radio is where to go. You know uh, with this stuff. There's a station on Sirius XM called Little Steven's Underground Garage. Have you ever heard it? No. Okay. Little Steven is uh, Steven Van Zant from Bruce Springsteen's band. He has his own channel. Okay. Oh, what? And he's been doing this for about 20 years. Um, he had started out on, a, on a, a regular free classic rock station here in New York, and then he moved over to Sirius XM and got his own station. Now, what he does... I don't know if you could look into it is, you know, he has something called the coolest song of the week and you guys do get played on this station. I've heard Eddie and the hot rods on there a number of times. So I just don't know what would be involved with him, you know, playing you, but you might want to look into it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'll check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, there is a website for him. I think it's just little Stevens underground garage.com, something like that. You could just check it out and see if there's a way to reach his people because he has his own record label called wicked cool. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, you yeah. might, you might've heard of them and what he did recently. And I, now that I think of this, you guys really should look into this. What he did recently is, uh, you know, Michael Monroe from Hanoi rocks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Michael Monroe after Hanoi rocks broke up was in a, a, a band, they had one album called Demolition 23, okay? Yep. Came out in the early 90s. It really didn't, you know, it was a great album. Didn't really sell. But but he, uh, Little Steven, has re-released it on his label. And he's Ooh, been right. giving it airplay. 
and it, it's it, it's starting to sell. So maybe you can get involved with that with some of the Eddie and the Hot Rod stuff, even the earliest stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely worth looking into it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's something you might want to pursue. So, um, what's in store right now for you guys as far as touring? I think you have some some uh, UK dates, but that's about it, right? Yeah, we've got we've got lots of we've got lots of festival dates over here in the UK. Um, we have we've been out to Finland, um, and we've got a couple of Spanish festivals, um, and and the, the machine is the machine is working. There's a lot of there's 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 talk of you know let's tw- 2023 uh, 2024 we're gonna we, we'll we'll get back over to the states and we're gonna do this and but we want to do it properly you know we don't want to just come over sure. there on thing of prayer it's got to be organised properly and and obviously that takes a little bit of doing and it's also it's also convincing promoters that the band is still credible even though Barry's in it and and that is actually harder than we first thought because you know i think once the album and people start hearing it it will help a lot but that it's taken me a long time even for the uk you know every time every will be well well barry's not in the band anymore <coughs> excuse me and i'll be no you're right barry isn't in the band anymore but barry wasn't eddie barry was barry the band is still eddie not was the band is still great and it's taken a while for people to come on board so right. now we've now now we're moving them down right. Well, the UK we pretty much know they know that we're still a good band. They know we can still do our job. Um, now we need to start moving it overseas uh, and and convincing promoters in America and this that and the other. But but you know, cogs are moving and and people are talking about it. So hopefully, fingers crossed, next year we'll be back over. Yeah, and when you do, make sure you get in touch with us because. Rob's a bartender in the East Village, about two blocks from where Bower Electric is. I'm always down there. You know, we can all get together, have a little, you know, party after the show or anything you want to do. Yeah, that would, oh, I like it. Yeah, that would be, uh, yeah, that would be really cool. Yeah, um, and, and I'm sure, I'm sure, the Bowery would be, it would be, a, would be part of the tour. I mean, I think we we sold that out fairly easily last time, so I'm sure they'd have us back there. Yeah, so that would be really. Yeah, and 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 also you got like I said, there's spots in Brooklyn you can play, like the Williamsburg Music Hall or Brooklyn Bowl. Uh, you know, you got to have your management look into all that. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Cool. cool. All right, Simon, I want to thank you, Simon Bowley, drummer to Eddie and the Hot Rods. Thank you for coming on, and uh, I wish you all the luck in the world with this new album, and hopefully we see you yeah. next year in the states. Yeah, man, absolutely. Thank you very much, guys. It's been a pleasure. Um, I will definitely be keeping in touch. Definitely. And, uh, we'll, 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 I'm sure we'll meet up in a year or so. Oh, definitely for sure. All right. Best of luck to you, Simon. You take care now. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Have a good Bye-bye. one. I'm getting lumped up with Wacker Mac and Rob Rossi. I'm getting lumped up with Wacker Mac and Rob Rossi. I'm lumped up, but I'm okay. It's gonna get lumped up anyway. Better call back and pass it. Just getting lumped up, like a mic and wide brass. Getting lumped up, like a mic.